HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. For more information, visit meusa.com. I'm HRN Communications Director Kat Johnson with a preview of this week's episode of Meat in 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup. This week, we're focusing on water. You'll hear some disturbing news from an NYC investigative reporter. Here lies the problem, how much we don't know about water tanks. Katie Kiefer reports on water woes in the heartland. Their water is heavily polluted with nitrates, which are coming from agricultural chemical applications on fields and running off into their water table. And we'll check in with Dave Arnold, who's about to open a new bar that will serve some pretty fancy H2O. It is hardcore. So pour up a tall glass of ice water and be refreshed by this week's episode of Meat in 3, available on heritageradionetwork.org, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. This is your host, Elena Santigade. Now, there are certain cheeses that you find out about pretty quickly and you never forget. I'm talking about like the Michael Jordan, the Babe Ruth, the Muhammad Ali of cheeses. Parmigiano-Reggiano, Stilton, Conte. This could be a whole episode in and of itself, by the way. Stay tuned, some future date. Other cheeses... Are, are almost there and then sometimes aren't quite as well known. No less groundbreaking, but not as much star power for whatever reasons. My guest today is on a continued quest to make sure one such cheese doesn't fall off the radar. Swiss Emmentaler. I'm excited to have Joe Salonia of Gormino back in the studio today. Welcome, Joe. Elena, thank you for having me. Okay, before we get into too much chatting... I'm super excited for what's about to happen. Listeners, we're doing something today that I realized we should be doing way more often at the start of the show. We are going to taste some cheese. So, Joe, what are we looking at? (laughs) (laughs) Nice. That was a great touch. Thanks for the introduction. So we have here a flight of three Emmentalers Mm -hmm. from our range. We go deeper than this, but these are the three that we focus here on in the United States. Okay. One of these three 
is usually going to be in the Goldilocks zone for most shops. And of course, one is perfect for cooking, usually for chefs. So what we usually start, we call it the base of the mountain here, is the mild category. Okay. This is a piece of five to seven months Emmentaler. Okay. It's aged in our cellars in Lagnau and also in our army bunkers in Reichenbach. And this particular piece, now we're, we're trying to get as much cheese from who happens to be part of our cooperative is, mm-hmm. is Fritz Baumgartner. Okay. And he just recently was placed first. So he's arguably, at least for this year, until the next World's, World Cheese Championship, he's yeah. the reigning World Cheese Champion of the Swiss rinded category. Wow. So he is the champ, Fritz. And actually, I have to say, my nickname from my grandpa was Fritzy. And Fritzy. I have to say, I don't, I don't really know why, but... I really love the name Fritz, it's, so it's, I feel like this is the cheese right for me. Here, this might be my Goldilocks cheese. Who knows? It has to be. Okay, so here I'm looking at a piece. That, so again, this is a five to seven month Emmentaler. Yeah, this is probably right in the six to seven month profile. It's really profile. bendy. Like it's got a great sort of bendy texture to it as I'm playing around with it. That's typical for a young Emmentaler. Mm-hmm. And that, that is actually one of the attributes that will be judged for. And it's also one of the attributes why some people aren't crazy about it mm. is that it's you know the texture is a little it's got that flabby in a way but right. this if you notice there's a balance though right yeah because there's definitely structure here i mean it's bendy but it's it's like it's got it, it's edging into that fudgy territory as i'm as i'm tasting it and for me also you know listeners one of the reasons i wanted to do this is because i i think even though emmentaler is a cheese that i think many people know by name and by sight there's an iconic element happening here. Anyone want to guess? Okay, it's just me and Joe in the studio. So, <laughs> Joe, tell us. Of course, it's the holes or the, the holes. eyes. Yep. So, but Emmentaler is the original cheese with holes. Mm-hmm. So, what I am trying why why we able why we're able to have good work being done in sh- cheese shops and conversations is that there are there are a lot of iterations now of right. cheese with holes. Right. We argue that this is the original. This is like these holes, these eyes in the cheese, these holes in the cheese, perfect. They're like, they I can't draw a circle that, that perfect. And I that don't is, know how to do that. That's part of the indication of the health of the cheese is mm-hmm. to, to see, look at the holes will, will be judged mm-hmm. both from the eye and also tapping of the, of the wheels. To sort our, of... Our affinors in our cellars and our caves, they'll tap the wheels and it's a different kind of... Uh, noise they're listening to in regarding in regards to the ma- holes. Yeah, and this is like a perfect example of. I always say to people, you know, you really do use your all five senses when you're tasting cheese, but a lot of people don't get to to use the sense of hearing, except affineurs really do. And Emmentaler is probably the one that one of the cheeses that you're most paying attention to what what it sounds like. Yeah, How um, much air is in there? What are those eyes looking like? Imagine a carpenter when they're testing, they're finding the studs in the wall, mm-hmm. you know, they'll, the, the old, the old school carpenters will use their hand and find if it's a sheetrock house, they're going to oh, tap with their hand. And hear. it's a similar thing being done with the Emmental wheels. When, when the Afrinor, when our team is tap, tapping the wheels, mm-hmm. they're listening for a problem really. Mm. So when there's a knot, so to speak, it'll change it, tone, it'll change. And that's not good. We want there want there to be many holes. Want there, to, I guess they're feeling like the resonance with it. They have such an acute sense of right. feel and touch and hearing more. You know, when you visit for a day, it's it's nothing. They're there every day tapping wheels. Right. They have a it, whole it, a whole different depth of development in that in that skill. And that selection process is 
is where our skills lie. Hmm. It's, it's not so simple to say, oh, we're doing all these magical things with washings, and yes, the environment's special, and yes, we're, we're, t- we're hand-washing, by the way, these wheels Intense. in Langnau, which is... That's crazy. They're know, big. They're big, and yeah, <laughs> there is some hydraulics to help lift them and flip them, but the, the washing is done by hand. But the selection process is where the skill is, hmm. and, and it's the selection process that will determine what can be aged farther out to right. 12 and 24 months. And then... Besides our own team, there's a third party, the branch organization, which will come in and mm. certify whether or not any of these cheeses can be allowed to carry the huh. Emmentaler label. Whether or not they they agree, basically, is like yeah. And, and without their hmm. stamp of approval, which happens, there's three inspections: one in the dairy and then two in our cellars. I see. And if anything falls short, it's going to have to be relegated to something like fondue or local sales without the Emmentaler Got label it. on it. Now, okay, listeners, I don't know if you can tell, but I've been eating cheese while Joe is talking which hopefully you can't tell because that might be gross audibly. But this five to seven month is like, to me, I, I think I was expecting something with a little bit more of a, a, an edge to it. You know, I, the, the softness of the flavor on this is really striking me. Like I expect a younger cheese to be milder, but this is really in that sort of like sweet spot of Swissiness. You know, I mean, the original Swissy flavor is the Emmentaler flavor. Am I right? I, that's it? That's why the cheese is selling well um, in, in all over the world. This is the cheese you eat when you're hungry, though, right? Like, mm. we're not going to pretend that when we eat Young Emmental, our, our eyes are going to roll into the back of our head and right. say, this what is was like, it? This what is like your air-popped popcorn that's, yeah. you know what, it's good, Yeah, but... It's darn in, good cheese, but yeah. here's the thing. When you understand it, you're proud also represent it. It's mm-hmm. cheese with integrity. It's made in a village dairy. Mm-hmm. It's made by hand. It's made by people we can tell you their name. Right. It's aged. A lot of skill, a lot of steps. Right. And, and even at this age, texturally, like, I was also expecting, like, is there going to be a tiny bit of grittiness? Like, how, how smooth is that texture going to be at five to seven months? And it's really pretty smooth. I mean, it's really, I mean, I wouldn't call it melty, but it's not like piecing out as I'm tasting it. You know, does mm-hmm. that make sense? And there's a balance to it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the other iterations of cheese with holes, any type of Swiss mm-hmm. cheese, you'll if you taste them next to Emmentaler, especially when you go mild cheese against mild cheese and mm-hmm. then you have a real Emmentaler there, you're going to pick up on what's being compensated for it being pasteurized. Usually there's some other cultures added. Right. And there's like this fake sweetness that's out of balance. Sometimes because they know, there's also like a bilious note. Oh, that little pukey note you yeah, mean? Yeah, a little baby, mean little baby puke. Uh-huh, and yeah. I'm not getting that at all. Well, I certainly you know? hope not. No, yeah. not even. I mean, sometimes it's like, okay, if there's a tiny hint of it and you're cooking with the cheese, it's going to maybe result in in a strong, like, nice flavor. But I'm not even getting a whisper. So that's really good. Again, balance. <laughs> you know, there, there are, um, like in the wine industry, yeah. you know that there are some inexpensive wines that are marketed really well on price and right. they're very jammy and jelly and sweet cherry like right and then there are the more well-balanced wines and you got to pay a little more for those and but as your palate develops you, right. you appreciate it more yeah and with this so like it's, it's sort of like here's my roundup on the tasting of the five to seven month that we've just done i'm getting like milky <clears throat> hint of sweetness but not super sweet i mean this is a savory swissy like iconically swissy cheese and it's sort of purely likable. Like, I would eat this, like, you know, cubed up in front of the TV, like, 
Give me the snack. I eat this when man. I'm hungry. I eat this on the yeah. road. Like if, I, or if I got done exercising and I need to put food in my belly, I will right. have an apple, maybe some beef jerky, and I'll eat a giant chunk of Emmental, and that's right. that could be dinner. Totally. You know, I can't say that about a poise. I mean, I could, but yeah, I'm not gonna do that. Yeah, that's the, tricky. Cheese like a poise. This is the cheese you eat when you are sometimes simply hungry. Yeah. And it's great for you sandwiches. You just want sustenance. It's utilitarian. Mm-hmm. It's good, darn good food. And it's important for, I think, a cheese shop to have some hmm. yeah. cut of it one way or the other. It's true. It's also, I would say, you know, there's a reason kids kind of gravitate toward Swissy cheese. Like, this to me is like a great cheese for kids to just love and eat and probably is at a price point that's like not going to make you faint when your child eats half a pound of you know, the artisanal cheese you bought at the cheese shop, which might be shocking to some. Um, yeah, I really like the, the idea also of like a utilitarian aspect to some cheeses that still exists within an artisanal cheesemaking tradition. You know, like it doesn't all have to be so precious, which I, I think about sometimes. Kind of reminds me of my bicycle. Like I just use it to get around. And you- it's not fancy. The bicycle has history, though, right? Yeah, it's you, got you, major you know history. I love my bicycle. But it's like, you know, I don't need to be precious about it. It could get scuffed up. It's going to do what works, does what I need it to do. It's like well-made. These um, are these are things with a lot of integrity. And then you can go ahead and talk about the history if you want to get into, like as far as this, you know, the salesmanship of it, if, you're, right. if you are at a counter. But it's, but it's not hard to just embrace knowing that it was made by hand with milk delivered twice a day. Right. You could tell, you know, even in the five, milk. I'm, I was also wondering, like, am I going to be able to tell, you know, how delicately this cheese is made at this age? And you could totally tell. It's like, this is like a high class, approachable cheese, if that, if that's not too much of an oxymoron. I, I dig that. No, I, I, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's translated by so many people in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. It's related in many different ways and it's also been confused which is also like the right. challenge of what I'm trying to unravel when I have you know group meetings with buyers or conversations with industry folks it's just yeah unraveling the confusion of even the semantics of the word and right so well, even this this next one you're tasting is rum yeah. is rum taller so even that's just slightly uh-huh. confusing like well what is that yes rum l- listeners I jumped ahead I'm, there's cheese in front of me I'm gonna try yeah. it so you're I'm tasting number two out of three. Yeah. Ram taller. How do we spell that? R-A-H-M. So Ram loosely translates mm. to cream. Cream. So this is an exception in the Emmental or AOP uh, rules. It's the, where the fat, the full cream, is allowed to be left in the milk. They don't t- skim it. They don't take anything out. Exactly. And in some cases, the cheesemaker will slightly adjust mm-hmm. to add some fat. But by the way, there's only two cheesemakers in the world. So you have... A, making this... There's only two cheesemakers making Ram Taller at all. That's it. You mm. have 127 Emmental or AOP producers in the zone in the Emmental mm-hmm. in Switzerland, right? Then out of the 127, 10 are part of the Gormino Cooperative. Right. And out of the 10, two on only certain occasions, like maybe mm. once a month, twice a month... Okay will make Ramtal. And when they make Ramtal, they'll maybe make two wheels each. Wow. It's, it's just small production. It's an emerging category to help bridge the gap between mild and aged profile. Yeah, so with, with so how more old is this one that we're tasting? The one we're tasting is about 13, 14 months. We, we list it as 12 to 15. Now, I'm also getting... You know, it's like got some of the bendiness of the young one, mm-hmm. but it definitely breaks then. Much quicker. So you can tell immediately, like, it's lower in moisture. It's still got these great eyes to it, but it has sort of a, 
a denser, more packed paste, I would say. A little more on the fudgy side, would you say, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, it's almost a little, it's like almost a little sticky to chew, which I like. It's like really, like it makes me want to keep tasting it. And this one, you know, it's really fun because I do immediately t- like notice the cream content. You know, like it's definitely a, one of those mouth coating experiences. You know, like there's definitely more fat happening here. And that's pretty evident right away. And it's not like beat you over the head with flavor. I mean, still sort of in that zone of like a milky, Swissy flavor profile. It's nothing like too outside of that. But it lingers. This is like continuing. Mm-hmm. Like I, I've, I tasted it many moments ago and I'm still tasting it. Yeah, there's a longer finish to it. You get some flowery notes. There's definitely a, more of more of a backbone, like just some more of those uh, brown nutty brown butter nutty mm-hmm. little backbone. Yeah, it's almost like you get the cooked you get the cooked sense with this mm-hmm. one a little bit more, like warmed milk. Mm-hmm. I don't get full on caramelized with this one, but I do get that like warm the you know, just heating milk on the stovetop, like really really nice milk or cream. And this averages about 10%. You know, this will be about 55% fat and dry matter, where the Emmentaler is typically around 45%. Oh, okay. Give or take a couple points. Okay, let's jump <clears throat> to the third guy before the break. Sure. Because then I can eat more cheese during the break. So the third one is the, is the one with the label that gets everybody's attention. Dun, dun, um, dun. That what we what we technically call the Gulfith label, but its nickname is the Slow Food Emmentaler label mm-hmm. for short, because it is the one and only... Emmental, what it's listed by the Presidio, and one of the reasons that it's listed by them is that it uses just self-produced cultures by the dairy, which I love. And I was just saying to Joe before the before the show, listeners, that I think I I feel like I'm starting to taste the commercial cultures in different cheeses. Like I'm really starting to identify those flavors a little more than I want to. So I'm on this quest to like find as many cheeses where. There's proprietary cultures where they're culturing with the way of their own cheesemaking from the day before, which I think is what, is that what's happening with the slow yes, food Emmentaler? exactly that. So the, the part of the way is held back, and it's almost like a little bit of, like, almost like a yogurt process mm-hmm. until the next day. Right. But that's a step that was dormant for almost 20 years before it was brought back. Ah. So it was a step that had to be retaught by Bernard Meyer's father, who was, even during his career, had, had to abandon the step. For continuity, the branch at that time wanted everybody to use the lab-produced cultures. So the project was to reinstitute this, pro- you know, back to the old-fashioned way, the traditional way. Mm-hmm. But that had to be re- retaught and relearned, and thank That's goodness really otherwise it would have been lost for yeah. who knows how long or forever. I mean, it's almost like it was resuscitated. It was lost. But this is the original, this is the this most is traditional really cool. recipe of Emmental right here. Thank again, goodness it's here. Yeah, and again, I'm getting, you know, it's a much... A firmer, you know, drier paste for sure. You have so much more time on it. How old is this one? It's this one's close to twenty four months. Twenty four months. It's more of a broader yeah. banded. There's like a little more. There's more notes being played. Yeah, there's way more, more nuance going on, but it's still really subtle. And I think that's that's a note I want to talk about when we come back from a short break because as a retailer, I think you're going to totally miss this if the cheese is cold. So maybe we can talk a little bit about how best to taste it. Um, and geez, the flavors are like still going again, mm-hmm. and, but, but on a much broader spectrum. And, and the cool thing is that the, at the core, you're still getting that Swissy note. You're still not getting into any of that sort of bitter or, or 
kind of like intensely prickly flavor. Like that's not there at all. It's really that sort of nutty, milky creaminess is still there, which I'm really loving. Hopefully some balance. Yeah, totally. That's the idea. Okay, cool. I'm going to taste more as we go to a short break here, and then we'll be back to talk about how you listeners can save the Emmentaler. And if you haven't yet pressed pause on your podcast, pause it, go out, buy some Emmentaler, and then you too can taste these cheeses while we talk in the second half of the show. Okay, we'll be right back. Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. Since the early 1900s, Emmy has been a passionate supporter of farmers, cheesemakers, and family tradition. They believe in sustainable agriculture and respect for the people, land, and animals that make their business possible. Remaining dedicated to tradition, they strive to lead the industry in innovation, ensuring they bring you only the highest quality, best tasting cheese from Switzerland. Emmy is best known for importing more than 80% of the Swiss Gruyere into the United States, but that's not to overshadow their other specialty cheeses, including Kaltbach cave-aged cheeses, Der Scharfe Max, Appenzeller, Tete de Moin, and traditional Emmentaler. For more information, visit emmyusa.com. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. We're broadcasting live on the Heritage Radio Network, and I'm here with Joe Salonia of Gormino, and we have been tasting Emmentaler, three different age profiles. I'm like totally wowed, and also I'm really loving, I mean, I always love to do a vertical tasting of anything. It just, to me, it, it, it dials you in so much on like what's at the heart of the thing you're tasting. So listeners, it's really fun to taste multiple age profiles if you can get your hands on them. And, uh, and throwing the ROM toller in there too has been really fun. So now I want to talk about something else happening in the studio, which is Joe's t-shirt, which is pretty cool. It says save the Emmentaler on it. It's a diagram of how to cut the Emmentaler, which I, I think is brilliant. Um, What's going on? What's with the t-shirt? And also, everybody's wondering how they can be a superhero here in real life and, and save this cheese. Awesome. Yeah, um, thank you. The shirt is, was designed by New York cheesemonger Josh Santamaria. It's a, an idea that Very I cool. had, but he, he really brought it to life. And Josh is the buyer at Foragers. He is. Mm-hmm. And he's also a serious contender, I think, in the CMI. Oh, yeah. He's, yeah, he's, he's a big he's, CMI. He's seeded. He's one of the top seeds, I think. Now, I'm a judge this year, so I can't get too biased here. But <laughs> but the shirt is a, we'll call it an infogram, right? So it's actually got some useful information, the underpinning reasons of what makes Emmentaler AOP mm-hmm. the cheese. And then if you wanted to just look at the wedge, you, you could kind of make sense on how would be the traditional way to break down the wheel and cut it. Right, because... Okay, so so there is a campaign. This T-shirt is part of a campaign, and let's get to that in a minute. But since we're talking about how to cut this cheese, let's talk about the fact that this is a what two hundred pound, two hundred twenty pound wheel of cheese anywhere in that range. Yeah, it could right? be up to up to two hundred twenty pounds pretty easily. Sometimes a little more. Yeah, anywhere from one eighty to two twenty five is 
not out of the norm. So we're trying, you know, you're you're doing this campaign that you've done. Have you done it yearly, or you've done it every every few years, a couple it, times? It, it here. took it took um, it got some legs in early 2015. 15, yeah, and I think that's when yeah. you were first on the show with Greg. Exactly, yeah, I was in, on the show with Greg. I think in June of 2000. So it's been three years. Yeah, and uh, you know, and that was a, a watershed moment for me to be mm-hmm. on the show with Greg. Um, well, what we know is the reality is that most shops can't handle a whole wheel, right? right so the like, so way I try to explain it is just like if we were at the, the, the honey beehive or if we were at the mm-hmm. winery or the orchard, everything always tastes the best when you're at the winery, at the brewery. It's just, it never tastes quite the it, same it's again. It's just the best, right? So if we're at the best piece of Emmental we're going to have, honestly, is going to be at the dairy eating a piece of Emmental, right? So, so that's true. the best. Yeah. What's the second best? Right. Second best would be if we can get a whole wheel mm. cut Shipped here and cut. cut that would be the second fresh. best. A fresh piece. A fresh piece. Okay. So that's not always a realistic option for many shops. Yeah, I mean, so, I would assume very few could ha- really handle it. I mean, even a wheel of parm for for most shops can be kind of a heavy lift. And yeah. that's 90 pound, basically. So what we're doing now is we're making our cheese available in what we call 12s. So mm-hmm. they're really 16 pound wedges. Hmm. They're either available fresh cut that way from certain distributors that prefer to cut them hmm. for us, or we'll go ahead and pre-order just per order for distributors that work closely with their customers mm-hmm. and then we'll deliver them the, the 12th cuts. Very and cool. And what the, what the illustration is, is we'll help you break down either whether you want to call it an eighth or a 12th. The wedge, this the big wedge. This is the way wedge. to get the, the, a fair cut with proper rind distribution right. on, the, on the wedge. Yeah, this is a really helpful diagram. And to wear it would even, you know, if you're managing a cheese shop, you just wear the shirt. And just, then, just wear you the know, shirt. when people ask you, like, how am I supposed to cut this cheese? Say, hey, look at my shirt. It's a t- it's an attention grabber too. It's just fun. You go to the gym. You wear the shirt. You you, you know you walk walk around. And you go to Disney World with the shirt on if you have to. But <laughs> have you the, done that? But have you done that? Yes, show? I have. I totally have. <laughs> so the the point about the shirt though is now today we're today we're actually launching a a very limited time t shirt campaign with okay. DZTA Daphne Zippo's Teaching Award, which we here on the show support a ton. There, uh, it, it, it's an amazing way mm-hmm. to embrace the cheese industry through knowledge, mm-hmm. the fostering of knowledge, right. and education. So this t-shirt is a teaching, t-shirt, teaching t-shirt mm-hmm. that supports teaching and education. So, so the proceeds of the shirt? All profits go to DZTA. Very cool. So if you go on to Gormino's Instagram, or if you go on to DZTA's Instagram okay. today through July 3rd, you have an opportunity to just hit the link in, mm-hmm. in the bio. Mm-hmm. Okay. Takes you right to the, this website for the t-shirt. You will just go ahead and order your T-shirt, and when the campaign's over on July third, mm-hmm. about two weeks later, the shirt will be at your doorstep. Wow! And you'll have it if you are attending ACS. You'll have it in time for that too. Very cool. For all I, the summer festivities. Yeah, you know, you'll have it for the beach, and you'll have it for for <laughs> the future. Yeah. And I, I also want to even encourage any cheese shop owners that are listening. Like, it could be a great way to show your appreciation for the team to just buy everybody a t- on the team. Get a, a team, you know? a team set. Yeah, get a team set. Write it off on your taxes. But it's it's all for <laughs> the best cause. You know, it's it's a it's a good way to support traditional cheese, traditional right. cheese knowledge, and and of course that's the embodiment of of DZTA and. Right. It just so happens that we are You're also you know, flying the flag for one of the most traditional cheeses here. Right. And and so, you know, just to sort of dial in on what exactly we're saving here. I mean, we've been talking about why the cheese is special <clears throat> and sort of that 
core flavor profile that, you know, does get sort of um, imitated and, and sometimes pretty well, which is fun. Like it's imitation is the best form of flattery. So I feel like when I have a good domestic Swiss cheese, I'm always like, this is good. You know, I'm, I'm glad they can do it, you know, and but it's like it's the same as having an Alpine style cheese that's made here in the U.S. You still want to you, you want to know that you could have Gruyere when you want it, you know, and you can have these classic versions of the cheese that almost heighten the experience of even tasting the newer American sort of innovator versions. Because without the history, it's harder to even understand what what the newer stuff is. What is it based on? What How is it even setting itself apart? So in that sense, I'm really interested in, in the fact that I have some stats here. And it's like, you've got to correct me if I'm wrong on some of this. Yeah, but I'll, I'll do my best. There were 600 dairies making this cheese after World War II. And now we're down to 128. Is that true? Mm-hmm. And then Gormino is only one of four or five companies exporting it from Switzerland. Mm, there might be more, might but be we're, more the, we're the only company that's operating vertically, meaning we're producing right. and, and aging, aging it in, in, in the Emmental, the Emmental. Which, which it's a pretty big zone, but the big companies aren't doing the aging in the zone like we are. Right, and that's also, I mean, one of the things I loved about the show that you did with Greg back in 2015 was you you sort of summed it up as like supporting Emmentaler is like about embracing the village cheesemaker. And I do think that when we think about, you know, economies of scale and, you know, I had, we aired the show I did with Andy Hatch last week. Where Great he, show, by the way. Thanks. And he had some amazing points about, you know, these mid-sized sort of like family-sized cheese-making operations and how to save those. And so it reminded me of like, you know, your quote there of like, Emmentaler is embracing the village dairy and the fact that Gormino is aging is making end aging in the Emmental seems like super unique. I mean, how what tell us a little bit about the Emmental and what where is it? What is that area like? How big like what are we even talking about there? Is it It's one of the larger cheese producing zones in Switzerland, mm-hmm. but it's Switzerland's not a giant place. I and mean, it's certainly still not a small, very dense. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Um it's the, it's the area that it is really centering around Bern and then goes north and east into upper, upper parts of the country. But it's in more of the lower mm-hmm. parts of, of the country of Switzerland, although what, we have many mountain dairies that produce the Emmentaler within right. our group. As, along with our, we also do produce, you know, as far as our dairies, we're, we're composed of, of 12 dairies at the moment. It's 10 right. Emmentaler, 2 Legriere OP dairies as right. well. Right, right. And many of those dairies are what we call mountain dairies, which there's a lot of qualifying factors. Behind, besides the height of the dairy, there's, mm-hmm. there's a minimum amount of flowers, flowers grasses, and herbs. Mm, yeah. The steepness, uh, which will also help more flowers grow. Mm. So um, getting back to, to, to your point about, you're talking about like where in the zone is Yeah, it, well, or, there's or, the Emmy River, right? The so Emmy River and Emmy Valley. And then you have yeah. the Emmy Valley. That's where it was born. That's where the name right comes and then from. yeah the Emmental is the region and Emmentaler is the cheese yes is that do I have that right yes I like and the Swiss, nomenclature is tricky and Swiss cheese is just now anything with holes right 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 because I'll go into a store in anywhere USA and I'll see <laughs> Bulgarian Swiss right. or Dutch baby Swiss and Polish Swiss and 
Swiss, there's even Switzerland Swiss, right? That's even more. Now that's the real confusing one because you know you have French Emmental, right? You have even PDO Emmental from Austria. Mm-hmm. You have stuff from Ohio and the Midwest. You have Emmental. Right. It, it, so you and I, if we want to open up a dairy in Pennsylvania, we can call it Emmental or Emmental. Right. That's not protected. Right. The but, only, what's only controlled now is Switzerland Emmental, or as as a you know, together those right. Those front, two words, those together. two words together with the insignia, the, like like it's very specific. Mm. So it's not a lot of controls. What I'm getting at, right? right? Right, and that's where that's where saving it and defining it becomes really important. Just it's like, because it can be so many things at this point. It's celebrating it, it, let's just think of it like uh, saving it is like celebrating it. Yeah, like we're not, we don't want to nice. victimize the cheese. It's yeah. more like let's we're just celebrating, and just by simply understanding the difference between what Emmentaler is and what mm-hmm. it is not mm-hmm. is you've done eighty percent of the work. Very cool. You know, I really like that. So back to sort of that two hundred pound behemoth of a wheel. <clears throat> what are your suggestions? I mean, we've got on the one hand, it's like for cheesemongers, ask your distributors what have you got. Can you cut a piece fresh for me? Are you doing the the wedges? I think that a simple question there would be would be interesting. And I think that if if retailers are open to getting a fresh cut piece, that's definitely something to voice to your distributors, right? Yeah, but as you know, the now the these FISMA mm, laws yeah, and are making it more constricting for distributors to even fresh cut. So we we can't bank on fresh cut being a growing trend. We have to actually predict that it will be a right. shrinking trend. Right. So what we really want to make sure is that retailers don't overbuy. Mm. So my first caution is don't overbuy. Right. And, and the solution is, hey, you know, your wedge. distributor has 12s. See if they break a case. Get get a 16-pound wedge. That's like buying a, a That's an nothing. M- M- That's no problem. That's it's no the problem. size of most wheels. And so then tell us, you know, give us some inspiration for what you think of as the best merchandising approach from a retailer's perspective. So what you definitely want to do is you want to show off that encumbering piece, actually. Oh, the eyes. Yeah, you want to show... The, the most inconvenient thing about the cheese yeah. is its size, right? Right. But that's its most powerful marketing tool. Mm-hmm. So you have this lumbering giant piece of cheese. Like, what do you do with it? It's like, you put that in the corner of your cheese case and right. show it off. Don't chop it up into little pieces right away. Right, Like, right. I don't care how busy you are. You just want to... Then get two wedges. Make sure you, you're showing right. off... And based, cheese. based on what I'm looking at on your T-shirt, you can start to cut the cheese and still have a pretty big piece there. 100%. You, um, a lot of times you'll cut it medially, so you'll have two like large wedges, mm-hmm. but little half in height, and you'll right. wrap one nicely, and then you start approaching the, the t- one of the wedges almost like the way we, very familiar way to like cut Conte or Gruyere. Yeah, very you know, cool. You'll cut it from the nose back. Hmm. And then... And then you want to have a sign that... It's right. bragging that this is the real Yeah, Emmental, brag. You know? we got to Bra- brag about brag this. Brag about it. Brag about this cheese. And also, you know, even if, if you're thinking about, if you have the five to seven month, it's like brag about how straightforward it is. Brag about how easy it is. Yeah, well, we're not taking ourselves too seriously here. It's, it's, we know what it is. It's mild good cheese, but yeah. hey, it's got integrity. We could tell you who made it. We yeah, can show fun. you their picture. We could, if you want to see the dairy farmers' <laughs> pictures, we'll we'll send you those. We can show you the milk jugs. Maybe you could do like a uh, a calendar one year. You know, Maybe cheese that's maker picks. You know, just an idea. Yeah. Okay. Final question. I think of this cheese as a fondue cheese. I think of it as a sandwich cheese. What are some other things people could do with it? Like a lot of our, you know, a lot of specialty shops definitely have a food service arm where they can kind of move cheeses through their own, you know, house 
menu items and and you know I think that it's not it's always helpful to be able to suggest to people like here's what I do with this uh, or even what's your favorite pairing with it like what wine what beer what what are your favorite things I love sour or anything with them I love mm. the sour beers I love the the funky ciders mm. I'll go that route with it I I also will cook with it like it it's it's actually pretty good on pizza, like a pizza type preparation. Yeah, I could see that. Like, would, you know, would bring like a tangy sort of like that that like su- slightly sour tangy note would would go it would kind of lighten up a pizza almost in an interesting way. Yeah, I love it in my omelet. It's just hmm. quiche. I mean, you know that that way. I love snacking with it with, and I just love pears with it. Just, I love pears. really Ooh. if you get your hands on really good pears. To me, something about pears and Emmental are just. A simple match made in heaven. Yeah, I mean, I could see that also because it's not like a super acidic cheese. Like, it's not a super, it doesn't have that, like, immediate mouth-watering, sweet, nutty, you know, combination that you get with some Alpine-style cheeses. So the pear is like a more subtle fruit. I always think of a pear as, like, a little bit more of an, mm-hmm. an regal fruit in that way. Like, it's not over-the-head sweet. So it, it's really cool to think about pairing it with that. And, of course, burgers. You know, there's mm. a couple of famous burger Classic. restaurants. Uh, one is in New Orleans. The name escapes me at the moment. There's a couple on the, in, in the Mid-Atlantic region where they use the slow food Emmental on their burger. Nice. Yeah, I mean, it's I a slamming burger. I mean, it's not a four ninety five burger. Yeah. But yeah. it's, hey, if you're going to charge what they charge for the burger, let's put a good cheese on there. Wow, yeah. Totally. Okay. We got to go eat now. <laughs> Sounds good. Let's, let's see if, if they'll put some on their pizza outside. <laughs> yeah. Let's hey, bring in the rest. You're, you're planting a good seed here yeah. at Roberta's. Well, Joe, thank you for joining me on the show today. And thanks for the excellent cheese snacks. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Awesome. So one more time for our listeners. How can people plug into the Save the Emmentaler campaign? The best way right now is to go on to Gormino's Instagram or DZTA's Instagram and buy a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. The second thing is contemplate whether or not you already have some Emmentaler in your case or mm-hmm. you're cooking with it if you're a chef listening and just understand the underpinning facts about the cheese, which are actually displayed on the shirt. So super straightforward. Mongers, chefs, ask your distributors about options if you don't currently carry the cheese. Distributors, if any of you are listening, ask Joe if you don't currently <laughs> carry the cheese. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm Elena Santigade, and we'll be back next week with more cheesy radio goodness here on Cutting the Curd. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.